Hey everyone, it's Tom Kradza, and on this episode of the Your Life, Your Term show, we sit down with Steve DeVoe. Steve is someone we have known for a very long time. He helped us with the commercial lease that we had before we bought our own offices, and he was instrumental in helping us understand all the nuances of commercial leasing. I mean, it is completely crazy. So he did a great job helping us out. We brought him on this episode to just chat about you know, life, family, the economy, what he's seeing, but we do get into the commercial real estate space and, and cover some of the things that you look at when leasing commercial space, when buying commercial space. So we get into a bit of that discussion as well. And we conclude with his discussion on something he's putting together for his daughters called Letter to My Daughters. It's really cool. Wait to hear him, wait to hear him explain that. Um, just a good guy to sit down and chat with. I think you're going to like the episode. And listen, if you are listening to this, you should know that we have our big event coming up on Saturday, October 17th. It's the Your Life, Your Terms event where we are doing things like the Rockstar Economic Update, a local market update. We are going to be talking about rents that we're seeing and prices that we're seeing and all the multiple offers that we're seeing all over the city and what we're seeing in the downtown core and how it's very different than the area around around on the outskirts of the GTA and the Golden Horseshoe. We are bringing in Kelly Hawks, a senior paralegal, to discuss everything tenants and landlords need to know about Bill 184. We are going to be talking about mortgages and financing, what the banks are doing with Dave Butler of Butler Mortgages. And we are doing a rock star mindset talk at the end, which to us is really important because this is the stuff that's really helped us carve out a life that we're able to live on our own terms. And we want to share some of this thinking that has helped us. Perhaps it'll help you. Perhaps it won't. Maybe it won't help you at all, but we still want to share it because we think this has been really valuable stuff that no one has just, no one really broke it out to us very easily before or very plainly before. So we want to try to do that as well. So that's at the uh, Your Life, Your Terms event on Saturday, October 17th. It's running from 8.30 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. You can check out all the details and grab a seat at www.yourlifeyourtermsevent.com. That's www.yourlifeyourtermsevent.com. And with that, let's get on with the show. Are you ready to live life on your terms? Is it time to take charge? Real estate, business building, the economy, health and nutrition, and more. It's the Your Life, Your Term Show with Tom and Nick Carazza. Are you ready? Let's go. We are live with Steve DeVoe. And Steve, uh, we were just talking about uh, the residential real estate market and how you feel like you're, you feel like you're lucky you picked up a property in March and now you can't buy a property if your life depended uh, on it. Have you been, you've been throwing offers for another property? Yeah, yeah, Tom, it's a, uh, it's hard to imagine, but, um, you know, we, we've probably, as I just mentioned to you, we've probably offered on 10 things in the last little bit. And, you know, not only is it super frustrating to always be told that you're anywhere from number five to number 25 on the list, right? But, and as I said to you now, I just find this whole residential game of, of putting it on the market at one price, knowing that you're hundreds of thousands of dollars under what the what the sales market is. So, you know, they they you just haven't got a, a clue at times if it's on the market. I'm just going to pick a number. It's at 350, and every and the market suggests it's going to sell at 475. Like, where do you even begin to or 450 or something? Where do you begin to offer? You know. We at about the fourth one, we we kind of got to our frustration point. And Where we, was that, St. Catharines? This is in St. Catharines, yeah. 
and we put an offer in at fifty thousand dollars over the ask price. And the right, ask, right up front. ask price was what? Was three seventy on a three on a, three bedroom? Yeah, so a back split. Three, okay, three bedroom back split. So what I'm. I'm jumping a little bit, but just creating re- revenue units now and back splits work really well for that because you can take a main floor up and make it one unit and that's kind of second main floor on the really lower level and make it a second it's unit. It's funny how a couple people have now stumbled into that. You're not going to believe this. We have a, a member we work with out in uh, Brantford that Mike um, is working with. He did that on a, on a side split. Mm-hmm. So same same house, but not a back split, side yeah. split. And um, four level side yeah, split, yeah. cut it up into two. So it's a side, it's like a duplex side by side yeah, almost. Yeah. And this is Brantford, Ontario. Right. One side, I'm going to get it slightly wrong, but it's one side's rent. He rented out for 2,100, right. the other side for 22. Right. So he, that one single family, it's essentially a single family home is now generating $4,300 in rent. Well, that's, that's it's almost, ins- it's, yeah. to me, I know that's not insane because it's actually happening, Happy, but yeah. It just blew my mind. Yeah. Well, it surprises me as well. I, I, that's kind of where we're going to be with this one in St. Catharines, almost those same numbers. And and I had put my own model together because, you know, I'm a bit of a math geek. And and when I finally had the property manager in to say, hey, you know, what do you think? Because if I take it to an investor, I want to have the right numbers that are uh, substantiable. And uh, he gave me the numbers like, what? <laughs> that can't be right. And he said, no, no, that's, that's right. And it was, yeah, as you're saying, it's in the high teens to two thousands a unit. And I was like, well, that's, cr- I had no idea the market had gone that high for, I knew in Hamilton, it was getting way up there because we have done some business there, but in those areas like Brantford or St. Catharines, I was shocked that it had gotten up that high, but it makes those, those properties so attractive. Cause as you know, it wasn't all that long ago that, and maybe even today still to some extent is that if you could just break even, people were buying them, right? Oh yeah, if it if it covers itself, I'm in, right? And now properties like that, you could make them cash flow, you know, five, six, seven, eight hundred, nine hundred bucks a month positive, and um, it's it's a very attractive. It's a sign, yeah, and you know, it's funny you're saying that because we go through cycles. Everyone has told us over the years, like when we were generating all kinds of cash flow in 2006, 2006, or even earlier, but when we started in business in mm-hmm. 2006, seven, eight, everybody was like, "Wow, this cash flow looks pretty interesting." And then it kind of got really tight around 2012, 13, 14, and everyone told us, "Oh, cash flow game is over. Mm-hmm. Cash flow's gone. You can't get cash flow." And now the market always adapts, and now people are renting less square footage and the people who own the assets are able to cash flow again. Mm-hmm. And I actually don't like it. I'm an asset owner myself. Mm-hmm. You're do, you're playing in the, with assets because there's money in that kind of stuff. Right. I don't like a world where the middle class has to constantly get squeezed and squeezed and squeezed and people who own assets benefit forever. I like a world where people can save money and get ahead and focus on their career and that's that. Whereas today, because of the monetary policies that Canada has and the world has chosen, it's like if you don't get into, you know, if we don't play the game, Steve, like, you know, trying to pick up assets and you bidding on a property, 100,000. The answer, by the way, is like you have to bid at least 150,000. I'm joking. $150,000 over whatever it was listed (laughs) um, to get it. I mean, it's just kind of totally backwards. And today, Justin Trudeau announced that the government of Canada is going to, I don't know if you just saw it, just hit the financial post, uh, $10 billion in to create 60,000 uh, new jobs. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, first of all, the government doesn't have the 10 billion. Mm-hmm. So that means it's going to be $10 billion of new debt that are going to take on, which is new money that goes into the world, which devalues the money that everyone has in their pockets, which then is likely going to push asset prices up even further. And they have no plan for the jobs. There's no projects. Right. They just said they're going to create 60,000 jobs. 
So I don't know if these are going to be real jobs or bullshit jobs, but now like our fate is in the government's hands and everything just seems backwards to me. And we're all left scrambling in here. We're, we're looking at each other like it's just chaos. I was just telling you about a, a townhouse that uh, we we're renting out in Oakville, nine offers on the townhouse. The people, one of the peop- uh, parties want it so badly. Um, they're willing to pay a year in rent upfront. Yeah, that's hard to and imagine. And they're, they're a downtown couple who's living in a condo. Um, I think they work in the tech industry because they're originally San Fran- uh, from San Francisco. So I'm just generalizing greatly here. I should not be doing that. But uh, um, that's what I feel it might be the case. And they want to move out to the suburbs. They don't want to be stuck in a condo. And, you know, if we get shut down or locked down in the winter, I wouldn't want to be stuck in a condo either. Right. So it's just like there's so many factors. And then on top of that, we're in the Golden Horseshoe. Sorry, now I feel like I'm going on a bit of a rant here. No. But on the Golden Horseshoe, we are stuck in an area where we've been had an undersupply of housing year over year over year for 10 years while our government cranked up the immigration numbers. And this isn't a talk against immigration, not at all. We need immigration in this country to grow the economy. But we've made it harder in the greater Toronto area to get approval for new building so that we have more people jammed in here and we can't keep up with the housing supply. Mm -hmm. So we also, on top of all of the, and then interest rates have been cut. So now you can get a five-year fixed mortgage on a primary place of residence for one point, or the lowest we've seen is 1.65. One point, on a rental property, 2.15. Mm-hmm. So money's cheap, more people are in here, and you know, if you don't buy an asset, you're not gonna get ahead. Like the world, if the world hasn't been turned upside down, I don't know what has. Yeah, I think we all wake up every morning sometimes shaking our head going, like, what the heck is, the chaos is going on, you know? But I, I do believe, and not, I don't want to get in a long government contract, but when you say the chaos, I, I think that as long as we as citizens or, or whatever um, occupiers of the country are more than willing to ask the government to save us continually, like we can't seem to save ourselves, we have to ask the government to do it, you're going to find that, right? You're just going to be in that chaos mode because the government can't possibly save us all. Like it just doesn't work that way, right? But yet we continue to look to somebody else to take to to help us you know and i keep i get so frustrated well i stop watching the news is because every time something happens the immediate thing whether you like doug Ford or not the meat the first thing you do is start blaming the government well they didn't do this right or they didn't do that right or whatever else so, you know we got fifty thousand kids hanging out in some park and and but it's the government's fault right <laughs> so yeah until we i think have a bit of an attitude change it's um yeah, you know, we can't look for somebody else to and, save and us all the time. You're right, and it's the personal responsibility that we all need to have, yeah. uh, and, and that is going to really make the security for your family, my family. That's the way to go about it. And uh, it's just when you look at the policies that are so grossly incorrect, sometimes, and I'm not even the type of person that gets political. Yeah, but I just look at, and I'm talking about all government parties. Like yeah. in my books, there's no, none of them are doing anything right. Zero. And, uh, but we, when, when you see them doing so much wrong, mm-hmm. it gets me going a little bit. Cause I'm like, guys, like, and girls, like, <laughs> what are you doing over there? Like, yeah. it's just kind of a mess. And, uh, I don't know where this ends. Some, some of my friends will talk about things like, you know, and it's a good point that if, if, if the government doesn't do something, especially at times like these, mm-hmm. then, you know, w- what would happen? And, you know, I think they're alluding to the point that, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of businesses that are hurting. There are a lot of some people that are missing income and that kind of stuff. But my point is when, when, when the government continually has to save us, like you're saying, you can, you're on this treadmill that just has a no finish no line. Yep. And the finish line, I, the only finish line I can see is those who own assets are going to continually benefit. Right. 
because lower interest rates, easier money, rewards asset owners. Those who depend on income solely mm -hmm. are going to lose. Yeah. And it's a sad state. It, I uh, agree. But I, I do agree, kind of bringing this back on the real estate. I, I do believe that's the case, is that if you're not looking at a, a hard asset these days, whether it's real estate or gold or whatever it is, then you're probably not looking at Because I still hear people playing a lot in the market, right, as well. And uh, I shake my head. That would be a scary place for me, for oh, me to have any. Um, I wanted to I wanted to ask you, what are you hearing about the, you know, we didn't even talk about your background yet, but you have yeah. like, de I feel like decades worth of commercial real estate experience. Yeah, sure. What are you hearing of in the commercial? Like, what's the chatter on the residential side? It's all what you're saying. Yeah. Holy smokes. I can't believe how many offers. I can't believe how many, you know, the prices that are going up. I can't believe how, how aggressive things are on the outskirts of the GTA as compared to Toronto proper. Right. Because it's a little quieter in the Toronto core right sure. now. Um, what kind of chatter are you hearing in the commercial space? Are, are, are we seeing vacancies yet? Are people just wondering what's going to happen? Yeah. So, yeah, there's a couple things. So, as, as you mentioned, I've been around for a while. So, when when this was all happening, I got lots of people, old old clients, old people phoning me in general, like, what's happening? Like, what, do you, what what's going on, do you think, or whatever? And, you know, I, would, I was watching, you know, lots of... Um, email stuff coming along or, or, you know, just social media stuff. And even, even some, some real estate guys pumping stuff out. And it really told me right off the bat, nobody has an idea of what's going on for sure. Like if they tell you, they know, then I would be running in the other direction. Right. And my answer to all of them was, I can't tell you, like, I I'm like you, I could give you some data and I can see with my own two eyes that, you know, there's not a lot of office people out there right at the moment. And retail is, almost non-existent in a lot of ways or wasn't for a while. So, but how, how it's all going to drop out. I don't, I don't know that anybody could tell you for sure today uh, or then now uh, the things that I'm seeing and I've, I've, I've had some ex exposure to is the industrial side, particularly uh, pension funds and that type of thing that are looking uh, for, in, to, to move money into those assets. I find that those guys are still active They're They think there's a buying opportunity, which everybody is, we can talk about that on the residential side as well. But, you know, everybody's been waiting years and years and years to have a buying opportunity. And then they see it. And then everybody jumps in so fast that it becomes no buying opportunity <laughs> anymore. You know, so you haven't seen a, a big collapse here. But you, I've seen real pressure in the industrial side. And in my personal opinion, that's what you're like. I think the commercial market as a as a ball, if you will, as a sphere is not going to. It may change a little bit. It's going to shrink a little bit, I do think. But I just think that whole sphere is is going to just change its shape or it's going to kind of amoeboid into a different direction, if you will. And so I think you're going to see things that require, it doesn't take a rocket science, Amazon, shipping, warehousing, any of those kind of things. You're going to see a real uptick in that market. And the office market and the retail market, I think you're going to see um, a decline in, right? In fact, I, I know of already numerous, very large office tenants where literally two-thirds of their workforce are now working from home. And I think it's going to stay that way because a lot of people like it, right? <laughs> even, even if the thing ends, I, I think there's going to be a lot of people that are going to, a lot of employees are going to keep that as an option if they can. And so, so that creates a lot of these towers, particularly downtown, where you have a lot of uh, vacant space. But when I say vacant, it's being paid for, but it's being unused. 
And so I think that's going to drive tenants to try to buy out and so on. And of course, landlords are not going to want to do that, especially in. Yeah. How can, can they, is it easy to break a commercial lease? It's impossible. It's impossible because it, unlike residential, like residential, yeah. a, a residential tenant can walk away from a lease. The landlord is responsible to, to then try and get another tenant. If you get, if you incur losses while trying to get another tenant, then right. you can go after the original tenant. Right. I'm generalizing here. So yeah, I am I not a paralegal. Yeah. I'm not representing tenant. I, get some professional advice here, but that's yeah. generally how it works. If you lose money through that process, you can go after the original tenant right. and say, Hey, look, I have some damages here, provable damages. I didn't rent it for the same amount or, you know, I had five months vacancy or something, but in the residential market, you're renting stuff so fast right. that like, you're never going to really have a vacancy right now, but in the com- commercial market, there's a legal recourse right? Like you can't just walk away from a lease. That business is legally on the hook. That's correct. That's correct. And, and if it's a good lease from both sides, then I mean, I'm sure there are probably burrowing away in some some dungeon. There's lawyers trying to figure out if there's any loopholes in some of these big leases that they can that they can eat. Yeah, have through. you ever seen that from your experience? No, very rarely do I ever see. And I'm talking about big leases. I'm not talking about the you know, the Acme landlord who's got a couple industrial units and he's got his You're talking about of, floors of office. I'm talking buildings. about Cadillac Fairview having, uh, you know, Desjardins in for 300,000 feet. Like that lease is going to be pretty airtight, I'm I'm guessing, right? Um, so what are these guys going to wait? Because I'm hearing, I don't want to say any names because I'm, I'm, I'm not allowed to, but uh, I know of some big companies that we all know that are have leases ending in Toronto, floors of office space mm-hmm. that they are now telling those segments of workers to stay at home mm-hmm. and they're just not renewing their lease. Correct. So that's, you know, that's definitely happening. And then I hear of that and I'm like, who's going to step into like two floors of downtown office space in today's world? Yeah. So I, these guys have those. So, so there's that natural kind of lease expiration. Mm-hmm. But other than that, there's no, there's no way out. So these businesses have to pay their lease. Otherwise they're in breach of this contract. Yeah, they'd have to pay their lease and or they've got to declare bankruptcy or or you know, do some fancy footwork with the cor- whoever's on the corporate lease or whatever. That's why you, you often hear commercial landlords when they say, "Hey, I don't want the Canadian company I want the hook. I want the US company on the hook as well or something like that." You know what I mean? Because because if you've got a Canadian company on the hook and it doesn't have a lot of assets, you could just close it up and, you know, and say, "Hey, I'm sorry, but we're out of here, right? But if I'm one of those big, if, so for one of those big landlords, right. if they see the writing on the wall here and I go to them and let's say I have a lot of square footage rented out right? and I say, Hey, look, if you don't give us a 50% haircut, like a 50% discount on this lease, yeah, we're just going to default. Like you, you know, either, yeah. either give us the 50% or we're not going to survive. Does that have any weight with some of these landlords? Of course. Yeah. Even back in, um, back in 89, well, not crunch was going on there was a lot of that going on right guys going hey i can't i need 50 get 50 percent off or whatever otherwise i'm i'm either leaving or i can't make it right so i mean i can't honestly speak to anybody i've actually heard but i'd be i think you'd be now i if there's not all kinds of negotiating going on now because if you're a big landlord you don't want those guys to walk and uh you know i remember back in those days there was a lot of tenants that were operating on uh, operational expenses alone. Like they were getting basically net free deals because the landlords got a building they got to maintain and um, they they couldn't, you know, there wasn't, they'd lease it for a buck or they'd be paying one buck or something like that downtown in particular, right? And I'd be shocked if there's not some of those discussions going on now, right? Um, 
because I just I don't think there's any other avenue for them. If you're if you've got a big office tower and it's half vacant, and the guys are paying lease today, um, and they're coming up and saying, "Hey, I I, I need help. What what's your options?" You, I don't think you're going to cut them loose in this market, right? But it's the other hand too is if you're a big huge company and you've got you know that floors and floors of space and all of a sudden a third of it's being occupied. Um, uh, you know, I, as I mentioned, I, I've, got a, I've got a real good contact who works in, a, in the insurance company here, even in Mississauga. They normally have about 1,100 employees, and then right now they, they're operating out about 50 in that office space. Everyone else is at home? Everybody's at home. That's right. And they're encouraging at this point God. to stay home. 50 in an 1,100 square, uh, it, sorry, in a space that would be usually used yeah, for so, 1,100. So they have floors and floors and floors with nobody on them right now. I feel like I just want to take my electric scooter and just go through go all through these floors. Yeah. And they're on a 15-year lease, be, you know, because who could have anticipated this? And at that time, I'm sure if you were an agent, you'd be promoting a long-term lease. Like usually when you're that big, you're not going anywhere, right? So I, I, I mean, again, if anybody tells you what the answer is, I don't believe they do. I don't, there's going to have to be some kind of reconciliation and how that's going to work. Cause I don't think that company, for instance, can pay on vacant space for, for the next 15 years or 10 or whatever's left. I don't think the landlord can, can just walk away from, Hey, we're cutting you loose. So there's maybe they're just going to bring people back more than they think they are. It could be, it could be. Yeah. You know, I, I, I don't know. I, I, how long did it last for in the 90s when that really got bad in the late 80s, so it's, 90s? Yeah, it kind of started in 88, really, even though people point to, you could see it coming. And uh, I would say we were probably 93 before we really started to uh, to work our way out of it. I mean, a whole different scenario. Back then, the, 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 the crisis was really, in my opinion, was brought on by a lot of ignorant bankers for, for lack of a better word. And I know those guys are smart guys, but I mean, they took all that property back at the time. Uh, Where were you in the U S or Canada? I was here. Oh, yeah, okay. I was here. okay. Yeah. And um, yeah, can you describe that to people? What were the banks doing? So the banks, so the, the market started to take a hat, right? And so the banks started to foreclose. They, they started taking things back without, with, in my opinion, without any thought at all. Right. Okay, yeah, you're done. I'm taking that building. Yeah, I'm taking that building. So then all of a sudden, all these lenders, and even the pension funds were guilty of this as well. They took them back, and then and then they needed to get rid of them. So they flooded them all back on the market at one time. And so it just took the market right down. Like, they just there was not enough. They just couldn't absorb that amount of, of property, right, that they had all taken back. And really what should have happened, I think most of them would tell you today, is what we should have done is sat down and say, okay, how do we make this work? You're crunching, you know, similar to kind of what they did with the U S is eventually when that, when the, when the, um, I'm losing the word, but the banks crashed down the there, financial the crisis, financial crisis down there. Yeah, yeah. Where they were, they took all these and then they finally, finally said, okay, wait a second. We don't throw us the keys. Let's see if we can figure out some way to, to make this work. Right. And I think that's what should have happened then, but they didn't, this is a little bit different now than, than that. Well, the but, banks in the U S in that period in 2007, 2008, I know people who figured out, that the banks were taking so many properties back that they were literally taking years to process it all. Right. So they were doing what they called strategic defaults, which is just a name that they came up with, which was stop paying your residential mortgage and just live in the house for free because the bank wasn't going to get to your file for like a year and a half. Yeah. Two. I know some people who were like two and a half, three years making no payments, yeah. but the banks just couldn't process all the foreclosures. Right. And then eventually when they were foreclosed, they're like, fine, no problem. But they hadn't paid their mortgage in three, three months. months. 
three, three years. years. Sorry, three years and took the money. I'm laughing, but I mean, that's insane what was happening down there. Yeah. And it just, that just seems like, I know you're, you know, you're born, where were you born again? I was born in upstate New York. Upstate yeah. New York. And I'm just yeah. laughing because that's classic America to me. That's yeah. just like people figuring out the system and working it to the bone. Yeah, right? yeah. Absolutely. And, uh, but up here, I wonder, yeah, I'm, I'm just curious if, some businesses get, to, yeah, we'll see where we get to if businesses do any of that kind of stuff. But I guess they won't because the commercial landlord will come after them faster. They, yeah, they won't be able to like live in these places for, for that long. I, I, yeah, I do. But I, I think, I mean, we're kind of talking like doomsday. I, I mean, I, I think I like to be a positive guy as well. I'm assuming before this really gets to the point where it could be hugely a problem is that they're going to come up with some kind of a vaccine. I think things may change on that front. But I also think that that, you know, it's like, it's like uh, the old comment, life finds a way. And I do think that things will change, right? Somebody, some, somebody will come up with some other avenue that they can use that space or utilize it for something else. Or, you know, they'll come up with some fancy, you know, uh, you know economic thing. I'll take a piece here and I'll give you a piece over there or, or whatever. Um, I, I don't know what will happen, but I just I think, you know, at some point water finds a, a way through. And I, I, I'm guessing that's what will that's, you know, what will happen. But I do think it's going to shift. I think you're going to find some sectors are going to expand because of the, the way it's operating and some and some other sectors going to contract. And it'll take a while for the net flow of employment and money to to equalize back through that. I don't know if that's one year or five years or longer, but I, I do think that's what will yeah, I think one of the ways, one of the positives that's going to come out of this, in, in my opinion, will be smaller. I think we're going to a world where smaller business, we're going to have these big, big businesses like mm -hmm. Amazon, Google, mm -hmm. but then we're going to have another layer of businesses that's really small and nimble. And mm -hmm. I think what this will do is it'll open up some office space to some of these companies that could never get into downtown Toronto because of the costs. Right. And you'll chop up some of these floors that were like a whole a whole bank was maybe renting out two or three floors entirely, but you know, chop up these floors into smaller packages and some businesses that can never get a Bay street address or never, you know, get an address down there. They'll be able to get in there. So I agree. I, there's I, going to, there's going to be some of that for sure. I agree. But I also think that, I mean, God, we're really, we're really on, we're headed down the, 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 the spider's web here, but all the things that promoted people to go back downtown, you can't get now, right? Nightlife, restaurants it's so true to, all the things all the kids were you know when i say kids everybody's a kid to me but the young people i mean the reason the downtown has flourished is because there's been a real move back down there by young yep what i call yuppies employment guys are there and now you can't get that anymore and I, so if you have to be quarantined would you rather be quarantined in a place where you can have your backyard and you can go sit or would you rather be quarantined in a condo where you can't even get out on a balcony? You know what I mean? And I think the, I can't help but wonder if if this thing continues for a length of time that you're going to see the popularity of downtown start to fade a little bit. And maybe that moves moves people around a little bit as well. Steve, because I was just trying to be, build the case for going back downtown. <laughs> but no, you're right. Everything that we made fun of in the suburbs and we're out here in Oakville yeah, yeah. in the suburbs is now what you want. People want the space. They want to be able to get in their car alone and drive to sure. the store. They don't want to get into the subway or the bus packed with people, the streetcar. Yeah. So you're right. Everything that the suburbs was a had as a negative is now all of a sudden a, a positive. positive. I hear you. All the big box stores that everyone hated, you know, yeah. like, oh, but now they are ground floor. Yeah. For access from the outside. And uh, though actually in retail, 
that's probably some of the best space, space now. now. Suburb, you know, retail is a, a weird segment, as you yeah, said. Yeah. But if there is a segment in retail that's interesting, it's probably that. Yeah, ground floor with, a, with an access. Like if you're in a mall now and you don't have outdoor access, you're in trouble. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah. But um, I just wanted to get, since we yeah. were touching on the commercial real estate stuff, I know um, a couple of people looking actually for an opportunity that maybe they're going to get some good prices on a real, on a commercial lease mm-hmm. here in the Oakville area. Can you give us, because I think everyone's confused on that and I know you have so much experience and, and I want to talk about your book. What's the name of your book? A see all, know all before you buy. Yeah. See all, yeah. know all before you buy. Yeah. And it's basically a how-to guide on due diligence, due diligence before you sign a commercial lease. Um, yeah, no more, more what you want to do before you're going to buy, before, oh, you before buy, you're going to buy, buy a property. property. Yeah. Oh, I'm remembering it incorrectly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you wrote the forward pal. Come on. Yeah, no, I know. That's a 40, 48, 48, turning 48 in January. I'm feeling it. I'm starting to feel it. Um, but I guess I, cause I think in my head, I wanted to talk to you so much about the leases cause you helped us out so much with the lease stuff. Can you sure. outline a couple points when someone's looking, um, on a commercial lease? What do they look at nowadays? Yeah. Oh boy. Yeah, that's a that's a that's a toughie. You know, if you would have asked me back in February, you know, if I'm looking at a lease, what what do I looking at? And I'm it's more the technicalities of it. Uh, you and I've talked about this before. Is most leases I found were uh, they're they're not very accurate in a lot of the stuff that's been done. Like they don't have any um, uh, backup for are you renting the square footage or not or the right square footage are you do you understand what, what, what do you mean by that the right square footage because people don't measure the space exactly properly exactly correct so if you go in and you're leasing 2,000 feet okay so I always tell this, this is a kind of story so you're you're in a building that's 40 years old it's had tenants rotating around in there for however long and your lease says 2,000 square feet what do you think the chances are that you are exactly 2,000 square feet like how do that how would that happen you know what I mean? Exactly 2,000 square feet. And the answer is it's almost impossible. So whenever I see a round number like that, that's the first thing I say, I'll bet you that number's not right. If somebody says I'm leasing 2,000 square feet or 3,000, I'd say the first thing is let's look at that number because because I, I, I just find it hard to believe that anything would be. And exact. are you measuring inside wall, well, interior or exterior uh, edge of the wall? Uh, well, it just, it depends. It doesn't really matter. It's just whatever you're going to pay for. That's what the key thing is. Like the guidelines for measuring are probably not even in the lease. They're going to say, well, we follow BOMA standards. Well, BOMA standards have changed over the years or whatever else. So if there is a standard to be measured or whatever, but me, I'm more concerned about our, if you're, if your lease says you're paying for 2000 feet, but in fact, on the inside area where you can put a chair, it's really 1920. Well, you're paying on 80 square feet for the next five years and you're paying full gross rent on it or whatever else. And what does that, what does that number look like? You know? And if you're, if you're only renting 900 square feet, maybe it's only $2,000 over five years. But if you're renting 5,000 square feet, it could be a percentage could be a significant number, right? Over 5,000. I mean, to me, a significant number. Okay, so you check that. And then what do you check? I thought you had us checking something about the common space. Well, that's... What you, what's the, yeah, what did you have us check on that? Well, so that's the other thing. Is So mo- most people don't really have a good handle on... So w- there's a whole bunch of different uh, lease terms, you know, uh, net rentable, usable, gross, all these types of things. So in, in most leases, you have um, a, a space where you can actually put a chair in it. And then you have a bunch of common areas. So they have a percentage of the building's common areas and they divide it over the square footage and then they attack that onto your square footage or onto your your payment, right? 
So most people don't have a good idea of what that common area is or what their percentage, because a lot of landlords will just put 10%. It's easy round number, 10%, right? Well, has anybody ever figured it out? Like, what, what is the number? Is it 13%? Is it 5%? You know, if you're on a full floor versus a, a tenant that, ha- or a floor that has multi-tenants on it, you're likely, should, you're likely your gross is going to be more, right? Because if you have the whole floor, you don't have any hallways, your washrooms are a part of your space and so on and so forth. The point is, unless you have a handle on all those numbers, then a lot of times people are signing leases where it's costing them money because they, are, they don't know what those terms are. And they, they don't know whether they're paying the right number or not. And if you ask them, hey, what's, is this the right number? Most of the time they couldn't tell you. It's the, it's the number I'm being billed, so it must be the right number. Well, that's, that's not how it works. That's not how it works. And then know? what about uh, the cap on the utilities in that common space? Sure, absolutely. Like if you're lease, uh, most of my leases, I, I try to get a cap in on because the game was for a while is they would, cl- the landlords would quote a lower lease rate or a lower operating expense. And then when you got your first one, it would go up right away. And so significantly. So you'd have to say, well, maybe we want our operating expenses capped at CPI or capped by, I think on the lease we did, what we had 5%, max 5% a year increase, except for property taxes or something Which they like hit that. every year. Of Ma- course. Magically, they hit that every uh, year. Absolutely. And, you know, and there's other clauses too, like options and those types of things. Like people all the time, they don't, they don't, they negotiate the option to extend or the option to renew, but it has a six month window on it. They don't pay attention and they miss the six month window. And then they phone me and say, Hey, how come the landlord's not negotiating with me in good faith? And I'd say, well, okay, what, give me the story. And then they found out their options expired. Well, now he doesn't have to negotiate. He's got a hammer, right? He's got the, he's got the mallet. So, you know, those are kind of things. Again, I guess we got off tap. Those are the things that I look for in commercial leases. Do you have your proper options? Do you have rights to extend? What are they? Do you have spelled? Here's another thing that's always a classic is, is so there's a problem even here. Like if you're, well, you're- Don't look at our, don't, don't start looking at problems here. <laughs> if this was a lease and uh, the air conditioning unit goes out, who pays? And how is it worked out? And, or the roof leaks, who, who pays, all right? And how is it, again, how is it, do they replace the whole roof? Is it amortized over its usable? And they tack it on? Do they give you the whole unit? Or a lot of times they would say, well, wait a second now, you have to pay because in the lease it says you're supposed to maintain it. And the tenant says, maintain it? What are you talking about? I didn't, uh, you're the landlord. Why aren't you maintaining it, right? Because in the lease it says it's the tenant's. I found you've always been really good with these commercial, like excellent with these commercial leases. Yeah. Uh, do you still do do you still help people with them? Absolutely. More on a consulting basis because I don't pursue the leasing. But like Ruben called the other this is like I think last time I talked to Ruben, he had a tenant who whose renewal was coming up. And I think they were negotiating over what his renewal rate would be. But when I went back and looked, I said, hey, it's clear we, we did a good job here. We put the right option to extend clause. It's very clear what his 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 he's going to his money's going to be. Right. And uh, so having those things in save a lot of grief da- down the road. So, um, so my, my um, business on that front is more people calling me and saying, hey, I've got this commercial lease. I'm not sure. Or I'm about to sign a commercial lease. Can you help me make sure? Because that done- expertise is difficult to find. Today like, it is, I would say, yeah. 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 Like I found that when when we went to lawyers in the past before knowing you, they did, they even would advertise themselves as commercial real estate lawyers. But to get that kind of advice, they were more looking just at the legalese of the contract. Correct. But they really weren't looking at like consulting with you on how to get the best contract. 
you know, and yeah. w- with what you're saying, that was really, really helpful. What about when you are buying a commercial property? What are the top things that you, you know, when someone's like, Hey, I'm thinking about buying that property. What do you just get scared at that people screw up with all the time? Well, if it's a commercial property, like uh, an industrial building, if it's, so again, there's lots of different, is it, is it, sure. uh, is okay. it an income, Gen- is it vacant one. or is it, co- pick so, an example. We can talk about a couple of them. I don't know. You tell me when we're running out close tight on time here, but um, if you were looking at a vacant industrial body that wasn't, um, that wasn't a, um, uh, an income property, like it's a warehouse or something like that. I mean, roofs are always the first thing, parking, you know, making sure that the boundaries are, are clearly defined because inevitable in those things, this guy's driving his truck or parking it on your side or, or, or whatever, or the the drainage, oh yeah, or the drainage from three things up is working its way down through the back to you or, you know, the, the roof's not in good shape, even though they said they've repaired it 47 times or, or what is the actual roof that, you know, um, what have they, what have they been storing in barrels in the back? You know, so environmental reports are always key and those kind of things. Um, if it's, if it's an income producing property, I don't care whether it's a, it's, um, uh, an office or retail or even industrial as well is if you're buying, you got to go through that same due diligence. You got to know clearly what those leases say and what your exposure is if you're buying. And I find that so many times the leases are just unbelievably loose on both sides, tenant and, and landlord, right? So, you know, you've got to really take a look at all the leases and look carefully at them and understand what is missing in them. You got to clearly know, again, what, you know, if it's one tenant or 20, what are all those option dates and what's your exposure on them? And, and, uh, you know, where do you stand in the capital of the building? If you're buying it, is it going to need a roof in five years or not? And how's it being paid for by the tenant? Can you shuffle it off? You've to said them? roof so many times that I feel like you've had roof horror well, stories. Well, in industrial buildings, it's almost the single biggest, uh, area for, uh, problems, roofs and some parking and environmental, but roofs are always in an industrial are, are always, um, are always a problem. Office buildings, roofs are very little. In office buildings, I find the, the biggest problem for landlords is, is the tenants, the, the leases, you got so many leases and none of them say the same thing. And, uh, and so you really have a hard time of understanding why is this guy paying this and why is that guy paying that? And here it says that his common area is 12% and that guy's 2%. And and, and the thing is, you can't just step in and go, oh, by the way, this is wrong. We're going to change it. Because <laughs> everything's signed. Well, of course. And it's it may cost you more. You know, so you're going to tell the tenant, you're a good tenant, by the way. That, oh, by the way, sorry, we made a mistake. Uh, you've been underpaying for the last six months or the last six years uh, or whatever. Or you're coming up for renewal. Jeez, by the way, I hate to say it, but we made a mistake here. We undercharge you. So now we're going to, instead of being where you think you're going to be, we're going to charge you what you should have been paying. And you're going, what? What the hell? Right? So uh, lots of, again, kind of going back to the book a little bit and is it just due diligence is really key if you're buying. And I don't care if you're, it's an income property or whatever else, you have to, uh, you have to do your due diligence. And uh, we've gotten so far away, and that was really the genesis of that book kind of leading into that way, is we got so far away of doing a good job there that um, I, I just, it would frustrate me to no end to, to watch some of the buying that, w- that was going on. You know, if, if you don't mind, we're just, just talking about the book for a second is, is so one of the things that generated that is, so I'm, 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 as you know, was doing a lot of income work, particularly in apartment buildings. And, and I was getting so frustrated because people were not, the, the buyers 
were not looking close enough at what the problems were, right? I used to use the analogy all the time. It's like a picture. It's like a pitcher pitching. If you pitch outside and the guy swings at it, what is the first thing you do? You pitch farther outside. And if he keeps swinging at it, you pitch farther outside, right? So the landlords were like that. You keep buying, they're going to they're going to fudge the numbers more. You buy there, they're going to fudge the numbers more. And if you buy there, they're going to keep fudging and fudge. And I'd go through the due diligence with people on these things, and they, and they weren't even close by the time I got done with what we had anticipated going in. But the super frustration for me was is that a lot of the buyers would go, Steve, I want to get into the real estate so bad. I don't care. Like, I'll, I'll overlook all that stuff, right? So I'd say, well, you're just propagating bad <laughs> Bad habits. But if they said you know, it 10 years ago, they ended up being right, Steve. Well, yeah. That, well, that was the attitude. Well, I'll <laughs> that's buy the a, problem. Yeah, that's the I'll frustrating a, problem, right? All the yeah, tides yeah. floats all boats, right? So uh, if I make a mistake now, I'll, I'll be okay later on. I'm like, oh, my God. Like, I can't invest with you. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah, just yeah, that yeah. kind of stuff drove me crazy, right? Yeah. And uh, so anyway, that was a little bit of the genesis. I, I was working with a lawyer one time, and he said, I've never seen due diligence like this. And uh, he said, you should, you should write some of this down. So that's how that thing. That, yeah, that's repeat that the name started. of the book. It's called uh, See All and Know All Before You Buy, A Hitchhiker's Guide to the Due Diligence Process. We'll that link to really it. If you're listening to this and you want to grab a copy of that book, we'll <clears> link to it in the show notes. So at rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash podcast for Steve DeVoe's episode, it'll be linked there. And um, wherever else, if you, you know, you're listening to this, if that's not handy to get to, just send an email into the office at Rockstar and we'll make sure you get uh, a link to it. Because uh, having that is like a cheat to me. Because it's someone like yourself who has decades of experience putting everything down into a nice, tight little book. Yeah. And it's really, I, I, you know, it's, it, it is like a cheat code for the market. And especially the, with the commercial space, I find, um, because it's difficult to get anyone to explain this stuff to you. Mm -hmm. Everyone, even, you know, even the, the commercial guys we've used over the years, they're different than you. They don't sit down and go through the numbers. Mm -hmm. They're just pumping out a sale. And you've always been someone to do, run your mental math and analyze things. That, that's right. Well, in the book too, I mean, it's written if you... It's not a technical book. You know what I'm saying? If there's a little humor in there. There's some, there's some stories. But even if I've had a lot of people, even if you don't like the book, linked into the book is the checklist that I use when I'm, due dil when I'm going through my due diligence process. And those things are, even if you just use those alone, it's a good, it's a good tool, right? You can see the checklist and you can walk through a property and, and, uh, and just check off what you need to, what you should be looking at or what you're electing to either pass on or not pass on. Yeah. Some people I know that are calling us are, are thinking that there might be an opportunity to pick up some real commercial, specifically commercial real estate for good prices in the next years. I guess this is a little bit of the doomsday conversation. Sure. <laughs> Maybe there's some opportunity. So this yeah. is the kind of checklist you need before you jump in, because some of the people we know talking this way are residential guys that have never gone into anything like that. And I'm like, you know, it's a little different than buying like a duplex or something. Right. So uh, right. those are well, my, my advice. If you're in the market, even if there's no, I'm not sure a hundred percent where there's going to be a giant buy-in opportunity, but I do know, or at least I believe that again, using a pitching analogy, there is the opportunity now to bring landlords. If you're a buyer back into the strike zone, if you will, and, and, and tighten up on those uh, clauses and get the information that you should get and not willingly wink and walk away going, well, I know that's wrong, but I'm willing to suck it up and buy it that way. Right. Get them back into the happy zone and, and make them 
prove what the numbers are and then buy on the accurate numbers, not on the numbers that you hope they will be 10 years down the road. Right. One of the, one of the things I think that was your advice that really liked, we liked is signing a shorter commercial lease. So back to the leasing Mm -hmm. and getting an option to extend it, negotiating that in, that is so much better than signing like a 10 year lease with someone. So to me, as a business owner, I like that so much better. And if the landlord's going to accept that, and I think there's going to be a lot of that kind of acceptance going forward, yeah, it just gives you freedom. Of course. And I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think in your deal, not only did we sign it shorter, but I think we uh, we, we rid, wrote in a, an option to terminate with a penalty, right? I think we had to terminate and we had the, I think we had a right of first refusal on like- On additional space. On additional well. space. Yeah. Because so when they rented it out, they came to us, which was great. Yeah. So yeah. yeah there's I'll, lots of features. Yeah. Um, switching gears a, a, yeah. li- a little bit. Are you going to stay in the residential st- space? Do you, are you enjoying the residential space? Yeah. Doing this? Yeah. I kinda, why, why? I kind of am because, well, first of all, <laughs> I, I moved, there's a couple of things, but so I, what I'm doing now is, is I think I was telling you, so I'm going out and buying properties and I'm creating revenue generation and then I'm moving it into investor pools or whatever. And I kind of got tired of the brokerage side because I was, as a broker, as you know, you're kind of sucking and blowing at the same time, right? This is a great deal that you should really sell this thing. You know what I mean? And I was just constantly under the pressure of landlord or owner not giving me what I thought I should get, uh, buyer accepting stuff that I didn't think he should accept and wanting me to kind of, kind of say, yeah, give him my blessing, even though I didn't think perhaps that was the right thing, right? And so I, I just got tired of being the middleman and I found for me, as I got older, I just liked controlling it from A to Z. So I can go buy it. I can create the revenue. I can give you the numbers. It's open book. I can show you exactly what I spent or what was spent and how it worked. And, um, and I can then give it to you in comfort if you're a, if you're a uh, investor, because you can see, here's the numbers. There's no fudging going on. Here's the appraisals. Here's the property management guys, around, the whole bit. And so I, I, I like that part of it for sure. And the other part of it, of course, is, is uh as i work I, I just work along at my own pace you know what i mean I, I can buy one or two if i can get another one and uh and i i can just focus on that and chug along at my own so if i don't get up monday morning and i don't want to go there i don't have to i can call the tree hey are you working today okay good you know i'll be there tomorrow type of thing or or whatever so uh, i i really uh, like that part of it the part I dislike, and I'm gonna, I just want to jump in on this because it's a real sore point with me. And I know if there's people out there listening that are thinking about that same thing as we were talking about affordable housing, right? And and I I have never been so frustrated in my life in trying to make these revenue on properties duplexes legal, like going jumping through the hoops. And believe me, I want the things to be as safe as. And I get frustrated too when people say, "Well, that's an in-law suite." Well, there's a big difference between an in-law suite and a legal. Second second suite. Yeah. And, but, and you, and you talk about for, for a government who wants to promote second housing, you know, it's crazy. OMG. The things I have had to do would boggle you, (laughs) even boggle my mind. Give it, can you give us an example? Something coming to mind? Yeah, sure. So, uh, here, here's the first frustrating thing is, so the inspector comes and says, oh yeah, second apartment. Yeah. We're And they say, okay, you gotta do this. You gotta do this. You gotta do this. Okay, fine. Make a list. Go do it. <laughs> I know what you're... And then three weeks later, the same guy shows up and says, well, wait a second. Now, you've got to do this. You got to do that. Well, why didn't you give me that on the first list? <laughs> right. So now he's got to come back again. Now he comes back the third time. 
and he goes, oh, well, wait a second. Now we got to do some insulation here and you don't have that there. But so it's the, like they're learning on the fly. Well, that's exactly, that's, ex I was, it stretched us out at least we have, an extra we month. We have some people who've given up on some cities and said, forget yeah. it. I'm, I'm out of there. And uh, St. Catharines has come up a number of times oh where God. they're like, forget it. I'm not yeah. building in. And these communities <laughs> need this housing. I couldn't agree more. In fact, I talked to the mayor in St. Catharines on that same thing, that very thing. I said, look, I'm trying to do business down here. And I said, I love it here. Yeah, what did they it's say? A good, yeah. It's a good spot. You know what the comment was? Was, I, yeah, we've heard that already. <laughs> we've heard that already. Oh, yeah, right? Great hearing it. Do something Do about something it. about it. Yeah. But then so. the same people will complain about the cost of housing going up. Yeah. So they won't fix the processes that we need to produce more housing. Yeah. The, then the house of pricing goes up because everyone's chasing a limited supply. That's it. And it's like. You have part of the solution, part of the, not the entire solution, part of the solution is right in front of you. Yeah. Just fix this kind of stuff. Yeah, that's a pro You hit it right on the mic. They've made it so difficult or so onerous that you can't get enough supply of it out because people are doing what they would do. They forget, I'm not going to make it legal. I'm just going to say it's an in-law suite, which just has, if you, it's always okay. There's never a problem until there's a problem, right? And if some, something happens, God forbid, in one of these in-law suites that's not done properly, then you got a real issue. You know what yeah, I mean? Well, you can get an issue. I mean... Yeah, and I'm not defending that by any means, but as long as you have the proper insurance, I tell anyone who I hear is running a property like that, I'm like, yeah. please tell me you've told the insurance company exactly what you have on your hands here. Right. Like at a minimum, have that yeah. freaking thing insured properly because, uh, you know, you don't want to mess around with insurance. Yeah. And then the second thing is if a bylaw officer complains, you know, if one of your neighbors, if you're running something that's not, you know, not proper and a bylaw officer shuts you down, you're kind of in this kind of jam. Now you got a tenant maybe in the basement somewhere. You got to get them out. It's just a whole nightmare of a situation, well, yeah, right? So from the city front, dealing with the bylaw officers, you could have a potential problem. And then just from an insurance front, you want to make sure it's insured as you are running it. Even if that's, do you know what I'm saying? So like, I'm saying like, if you have a single family home and you're running it as a, as a grandfathered duplex or a non-conforming non duplex, right. you better tell the insurance company you're running this thing as a two family rental right. duplex yeah. and not a single family home rental. As yeah. the city might be recognizing that city might be recognizing that property as a single family home rental. Right. You might be operating it as a duplex. Right. Well, you better tell the insurance company you're operating it as a duplex. duplex yeah. Uh, Even if the city thinks you're operating as a single family home. Yes. I, that, I agree that's what that. I mean. Yeah, I agree with that. And yeah, insurance is having the right insurance. That's like we could write a whole other book on that thing, on that topic. But for, for me is if anything ever happened from a fire or something like that, and, it, and I knew it was because I didn't do what I was supposed to do, that I didn't put double five eights oh, drywall or whatever. Yeah, 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 got it, it, got it would it. be horrendous for me personally. Yeah, Moral, but, morally, yeah, yeah, just it would just eat you alive. Yeah, 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 yeah. but so even more than that, it's the, the, so two things. The process is get the process down, right? Don't walk in there every time and give me something. Give me the whole list right up front. I'm happy to do it. I want this to be safe. I want, I, but I want it all. You can't stretch me out over eight weeks because you keep coming back. And the other thing is stop looking like you're making it up as you go. Right. Like I walk in, the guy walks in after four visits and says, Oh, the furnace door has got to be a steel door, right? Steel. When is the last time you ever walked in a residential place and saw a steel fire door? Right. But the point is, if you would have told me that up front, I would have had it done. I go get a steel door. I'll put it in. If that's what it takes, don't take six weeks to decide you need a fire. You know, you're talking about things they made me do pot lights so put all the pot lights in then he comes around and says or the him i'm not blaming him just the the municipality comes in and says oh well you've got to box all these 
pot lights and drywall and fire seal them. Every one of them, right? Oh well, if I would have known that, I would have put pot lights in. I would have just put a fixture in, right? But because they, there's no guidelines, there's no list. And he never said that up front in the inspections. And in fact, I had all these drawings approved ahead of time. So I'm like, well, wait a second. I got an approved drawing. It doesn't yeah, what did they that, say to that? that? He goes, well, it's, whether it's approved or not. This is what I need. This is what I need. <laughs> That's exactly right. So, and then, but. So who do you go to? Like, we're, there's no, you know, there's no, there's no uh, person that you can go to and say, hey, wait, I got an approved drawing. And this guy says this, right? There's nobody, you know, there's no, no single point that you can go to and say, hey, that's not right. You can call complain to the, to the inspector's boss. When you talk to the whatever. mayor, they didn't say they were doing anything about it, just that they had heard it before? No, they, no, they rec- he said, well, very political answer. Hey, we recognize these things are important to the economy and we're doing our best to try to get mm-hmm. them through. But you know what the other problem is, is right now is when I called them, of course it was in March. You know what their answer is? Well, COVID's going on right now. I can't, I can't do anything. You know what I mean? Like that's the COVID's the excuse for anything, right? Mm-hmm. You got bad kids, COVID's fault now, right? Or you're, you're mm-hmm. whatever, <laughs> you know, well, speaking of kids, what are you, how are you, how old are yours now? And then, yeah, what are your discussions you're having with them about life and, you know, outlook on life? Where, yeah. where are you at with them? So I'm, I'm glad we got to that part. Cause that, that's probably where I'm having the most fun right now. I think you and I have known each other quite a while now. You know, I'm kind of a professional kid kid person, right? So, um, so I have for those of you who are out there. I, so I have three girls, and uh, they're all in their teens and twenties now. One of them is just finishing up at Guelph and going on to for her masters. One of them is playing hockey down in the U.S. and is in their sport med program. And the other one is trying to get into the film business and was going to go to Laurier, but elected to defer. Uh, just because she's not an online type kid, right? And and film, she thinks, has got to be hands-on, not not to be learned online. So she's kind of struggling with doing some volunteer work and so on and so forth. But uh, so so, and they're they're you know, if I do say so, they're all good kids, and they're they do what they're you know they they're all doing what they do. But where I've really got some enjoyment now is 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 just looking at the process of how we got them to that point, you know, and. Um, I have people talk to me or have asked me over the years, she's got good kids and how, you know, talking about child rearing and all that stuff. And I never really put a lot of thought into it back then, but over the last few years, I've really spent a lot of time writing on that subject and kind of, I'm like you, I'm an avid reader. If, if it's, I read constantly and I, I just do it. And then, you know, it led to some public speaking and so on and so forth. But one of the key things that I'm having some fun with right now is people are asking me to actually on two fronts, one is on the investment front. How do I get my kids going? Sure. And, yeah. and, and but I said more to that is, hey, how about t- teaching your kids what a bank account is and how, what's interest and what's compounding and and what even, you know, I, I get people telling me all the time, they, they you know, can you help me? They don't even know what, what is a percentage. Like they're not even sure. They know the word percentage, but right. they don't know what it represents. You know what I mean? But, you know, even when my kids graduated from university school, if you would have asked them, well, do you understand what a checking account is and the difference between a checking and a savings? And just how, the names are funny, checking. Yeah. Like who's right? These kids are not writing checks. Yeah, you know, no, just that's, the names are the crazy. Name, all they know is they have a phone that they just press on some <laughs> money. Yeah. God, what do you mean checking account? I have an app. Yeah, exactly. Right. You say, well, what, do you know what the interest is or whatever? Oh, interest. Oh my interest. gosh. That's making me laugh. Now you're making me laugh now. Steve. Yeah, right. Stop talking about interest on a savings account. <laughs> yeah. And I said to him, well, do you know what the interest be? Why? Well, credit cards and interest on a credit card versus interest. Anyway, they have no, you know, they just don't, they could, oh yeah, I think we pay like, what is it? 15, 20% or, but I don't know what that means. You know what I mean? And, 
And all they know is every month a payment goes out yeah. from their phone into their or into their onto their credit card account, right? So, I mean, and then so when you start talking to them about investing and how to generate a return and revenue and asset, and all, they have they have no clue. And that's where our school system, in my humble opinion, really falls down. I mean, I got kid one kid that can do calculus like she's blindfolded, but she can't figure out how to figure out what the return is on a on a on frustrates our, uh, me yeah it's 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 crazy so i have i have my kids so uh you know anything whenever anything about credit cards come up i t- i get into this conversation that you never ever want to put anything on your credit card that you are not paying off when that statement comes in mm-hmm. because if you want freedom in your life you cannot be a slave to the debt that you can easily accumulate in your youth so do ne- never put a credit card down and think that is a good thing. Yeah. Anytime you're pulling a credit card out, that is a negative. <laughs> it like is. I'm literally telling them, this yeah. is bad. Yeah. Never deal with these things. I, I and I explain to them the interest rates on the credit cards. Mm-hmm. And then we show, show them different calculations on those interest rates. And I, and, and I explain to them, the reason I know this is because I made all the wrong moves. Of course, me too. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. What's, so, good, bad, what's good debt and what's bad debt? Like oh. most adults can't tell you what that is, let, let alone kids, right? And so, and, and anyway. the thing that gets me going about that, I just want freedom for all our kids. I don't want them to be trapped underneath a debt load that they can't handle. Yeah. Like I want people like bright girls, like your girls, yeah. I want them to go express themselves in the best way they possibly can because it serves me in the society that I want to live in. Right. I don't want them just getting by at some job they have to take because they have to make the payments on a credit card. Right. Right. And it's just, it's frustrating. So I'm, I'm cutting you so, off though. So you're, you, uh, you were just getting into well, your so, kids and well, their not some yeah. So that that's that was kind of the genesis of so from the economic point of view is just understanding like the machinery how it works and how it can be good or it can be bad or whatever. But here's the world that you live in today, so you just got to be aware of it. That's one part of it. But the other part of it is is and 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 this is where I really have kind of been having some fun is how do you establish honor in a kid or ethics or courage or um, you know, what, what's, what's right or what, what's right or wrong. And, and I think I wrote to you in my little email, the other thing that people ask me or talk to me a lot about is just living a quiet, a little bit, cause I'm preaching this a lot is living a quieter life, you know? And when I say quieter, I don't mean necessarily from a decibel level, a quieter life, but, but, uh, and I tell this story all the time. I'm a, I can't help it. My dad was a bit of a stoic and I'm a bit of a stoic. And if you don't know, if you can all, all of you can Google stoics and see what they are, but there's always a story. I think it was from, from, I think it was Cato who told the story. He was a stoic back in the Roman times. And, and he said, I had a lamp and it was very functional, right? And it was old. It didn't look that great, but it was functional. And then he said, I passed this lamp in a store. I had to have that lamp, right? So he saves it. He finally saves and he gets a hold of the lamp and he buys and he takes it home and it's beautiful, except now he's wondering where he should put it in the house so everybody could see it. So he's got some stress there. He's like, I can't put it here. Or should I put it there? But then he realizes, hey, this lamp is too nice. Somebody could knock it over and break it, right? So now he's got to figure out where could he put it where people, but nobody can touch it because it might eventually break. And so his stress in his life over this lamp just kept, it was multiplying, right? Finally, the lamp does, he breaks the lamp. He's moving it around, breaks the lamp. He goes back to the old lamp, which worked fine. And the point of it is, is that, Acquisition is good, but there's a certain stress stress quotient that comes with acquisition. And the higher the value of the acquisition, the higher the stress quotient, you know? So, uh, you know, I've often talked to my, you know, when I'm talking with kids, I say, okay, so you can buy, you know, 
a Hyundai or you can buy a Mercedes if you have the money. I'm so thankful you brought up this. <laughs> Nick and I are talking exactly about this because we both want to go back to our Honda Civics. Yeah. Because when my Honda Civic needed a tire change, it was 80 bucks. Yeah. I have an X5 right now. You, I have run flat tires on there. I guess I ran over something. $800 yeah, man, for go. a run flat tire. And I'm like, are you kidding? $800? So your stress level just Stress level just goes up. And I'm not even a car guy. Yeah. I'm not a, completely not a car guy. Yeah. So, you know, and I'm, I guess I can afford this X5. So I drive yeah. this X5 around. But I'm thinking the Honda Civic was just so much better. I didn't even have automatic windows. I had manual windows. Loved it. Yeah. It's a, it was a special edition Honda Civic. The thing, the oil changes were cheap. Everything was great about it. And we, Nick and I talk about that kind of repeatedly. It's one of the reasons we didn't even move into a new office until many years after we could have. We just didn't want the hassle of uh, space or, yeah. you know, buying furniture for it and the whole bit. But uh, so I'm right on the same page. Yeah. With you with so that. the bigger the asset, the more you collect, I said, the girls you collect, the, the higher your stress is going to be. Big houses, big stress, big you know, whatever. And then, and then the, the thing of collecting them, like how many hours do you have to put in to get the, to collect? So, you know, the more you have, the, the noisier, the term I use them is noisier life gets. So, you know, find a way, as we talk about a lot, is find a way to live a little bit quieter life. And I think you'll find that it's a little bit, a little lesser stress in your life, right? What about the honor thing? How do you, how do you get them to live? Because I, I have my own answer for that. I want to hear yours. Okay. So, I'm going to back up just a little bit because, and I've told you this, I know I've said this to you before, and I'll say it again. Kids are like a math formula, right? The more you put in, the more you get out. So if you don't put anything in your kids, you can't get anything out. You know, you're, you're likely, I shouldn't say it's a, an absolute. And by the way, I know you say this all the time as a disclaimer and you're talking. I know nothing, right? I know not. I have 63 years of school of hard knocks, but I know nothing. I'm not telling you this is the way it is. This is just my humble belief that if the more time you put in, the more, the more time you get out. So if you're not spending any time or enough time with your kids, then you can't expect them to, to come up with anything. I don't care what it is. It's honor or ethics or courage or just all kinds of stuff won't, won't come up. So that, that's part of it. And the other part of it, again, from the parenting point of view is, if you live a quieter life, then you can spend the time that the kids need. You can't compartmentalize kid time, I don't think. I think all kid time is good time. But there are key times when kids need guidance. And What are those times? Well, it, that's it. Who knows when they're coming? But if you're saying to yourself, well, uh, you know, I, I come home at night and I spend an hour with my kid in the backyard throwing the ball. Well, that's great. I love that. But there may be one time that he needs guidance and you're not there because it didn't fit within that one with that one hour of time you've allotted for him, you know, or whatever. So I, I, I just, you know, I know everybody's got to live and you can't spend 24 hours a day with them. But I don't think you can say, hey, I got an appointment right now with my kid. I got to spend 10 minutes with them or 20 minutes or whatever. You got to find ways to be with them because that's when things happen with them. And those are when the teaching points come. Right. So. So to go on to your your portion of it, I believe the honor, the other first number one thing is, is they look from early, early, early on, they look at you. That's where they get their guidance from, right? So if they hear you talking about, um, hey, I skimmed a little bit here, or I did something over there, or you're bragging because, hey, I, I you know... You know, I smothered this guy or I, I took I, I negotiated that guy out of his own shorts or whatever. Like, I think they hear that. And then so you can't expect them to do anything different than what your guidance suggests. So I think you I think that that's one thing. The other thing is you have to know early on 
that, in my opinion, again, that honor or curly, they're not a, they're not a commodity that you can go buy. You know what I mean? You can't, honor isn't something or ethics that you can go to the shelf and say, here, you've got it. It's a, it's a path. It's a lifestyle that you choose uh, and you try to maintain. Nobody, by the way, is perfect on any of them. Everybody tells you they are, they're, they're, <laughs> they're not, right? At least I don't think. So, so the, again, when you're, when you're looking through that with kids, you've got to set the path and hope f- and, and get them to follow the path that, that you're taking, right? And tell them that right up front, as we talk about some, can't be perfect. It just can't happen. So every day is a struggle on doing the things that you need to do or that you think you should do. And I know you're, you're a big fan of this. I do this with my kids. We talk about writing down in the morning kind of what you're thinking journal-wise or at the end of the day. Hey, what did I do okay here? What, believe me, they don't do it every day, but I do see them you know, every once in a while. Totally. They'll be sitting around and they'll write down, here's what I did, here's what, here, here's what I didn't do. But I'm not sure if that, that gets them to, to the honor point, but I think number one is you got to set them down the right path. You can't expect anybody else to set them down the right path, and you've got to decide in your own mind whether you're prepared to live that kind of lifestyle because if you say honor is important but you live a different path, it's never, it does unlikely not to happen. The other thing is, I, I think, and this goes back to maybe time spent with kids, is that kids are they, they're likely to follow you or, or come to the right conclusions if they're secure in their own skin. You know what I mean? That they're well-supported and they're confident. And if a kid's not confident, when those decisions for honor or ethics come up, and they, then I think they they can't or they struggle making the right one because they're, they don't have that confidence in, in there because oftentimes when you come to those decisions, they're not the easy decision. How do you right? create that confidence? Well, again, for me personally, I think it's time time spent with them. So and when, when I say time, so not, not that I'm educating them like with a board or whatever else, but from a confidence point of view is I'm always encouraging them to think out of the box. Um, uh, to, to be independent, to think, you know, make sure that if you're going to make a decision that you've kind of thought it through. Now, how do you tell a two-year-old or a three-year-old or a five-year-old that? Like, I don't think you can. Again, it comes from what you're showing. But no matter what it is, if you're around and you're supportive to them, whatever, de- whatever decision they make, I think they will start to gain confidence in those decisions. I also think that when you set a specific box that they can operate within, not just an open, hey, you can do whatever you want, but you set a specific box and they learn and you can praise them when they operate in that box, they get confident. They, they really get confident there. Again, my opinion, they get confident operating under those environments. And when they do, they take their box to the park and they take their box to the school. And, and that box is the framework that they operate within. And then that becomes... When other kids see that they're doing what they, they're independent, their thought process, they come on side as well. And you're kind of create a little bit of a society where you're, you know, everybody's trying to, to do the right honest or, 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 uh, or independent thinking or supportive of the people around them. So, yeah, I just think that um, for me, it's about gaining that confidence or, or getting kids to be in a supportive, confident environment. And when you have that, confident environment they can then learn to be uh make tough decisions or or follow a a path that'll allow them to um to to make some of the decisions that you would hope they would make down the road right that's kind of my 
my short brief mm-hmm. two, you can two, t- two, two cents you of it. You can but. tell you're passionate about it. It's cool to see. <laughs> we, we, we need all parents to be like that, I think. Yeah, so what was your, you said you had so a Just really quickly, I guess, well, it was funny because I've, I've spent a lot of time talking with, I'll talk about Aiden instead of Sienna just because he went yeah. off to Western. Yeah. And when we were driving him off there the night before, I'm like, holy shit, my time is over with him. Like I've spent all these years trying to like, you know, do what you're saying, have yeah. those moments of time when he needs them to talk and support and, yeah. and that kind of thing. And then I felt like I just ran out of time. Yeah. So I got a piece of paper out like the night before I read, I, I listed out all these things. I'm like, Aiden, remember I told, told you about this? Let's go through it one more time. And I had all these things and I listed off things like alcohol, drugs, sex, all these crazy things. But then I listed off living by principles, friends, debt. Like I had all these yeah. topics just really quickly. We had all had conversations in all these areas, but I'm like, just going to give you a quick refresher here. And we sat down and went over. It and, and one of them was principles, and I said, Aiden, listen, you know what? To have an, an a, a light life, to to li- you know to live a life that you really are going to be able to enjoy, you want to choose some principles that you want to live by, mm-hmm. and then you try your best to live by them every day. And so I said, for your father, it's do the right thing treat others as you would treat yourself and give 110%. Right. And we've talked about this for years, sure. right? And I said, always do the right thing. And I said, in university, you're probably going to do a few things that maybe aren't the right thing to do. But when you have the opportunity to correct it, you decide what the right thing to do is and you do it. And if you live by that way, you're just going to live a great, peaceful life. And I, and I, and I, and I, and I I've told him, I said, listen, um, you know, there, there's, there's some people who don't live that way. And I always find they're struggling. They're always struggling with something. There's always a problem in their life about something. But if you live by your own code, your own set of principles, that, that's the most you can do. And then I had another talk with him just about, and over the years I talked to him about this, about, uh, you know, he, he sometimes will say, I said, life is a perfect balance. Some moments of time you're going to think some things are really good and some moments of time you think things are really bad. And I have this great example that, uh, you know, uh, he probably doesn't even want me to share this, but uh, there was a moment where he was playing on the uh, rep soccer team um, in grade school. And the, the grade school soccer coach um, had tryouts for grade school soccer and he didn't make the team and he was already on a rep team. And the reason that, you know, I said, well, like, why don't you think he made the team there? And the reason is in the, in the rep game, they were just, you know, they play about ball movement, right? It's like accept the ball and you're moving the ball on really quickly. But on a grade school tryout with a, with a teacher who's not necessarily a soccer coach, it's more about hogging the ball, dribbling it, deking a few people and trying to score. score. But he never played that way. He would accept a ball and move the ball on. And I, and we, I said, sometimes you have to adapt to the environment that you're in. That probably wasn't the right thing to showcase your skills because really what did he see in that? And he was really young. Here, yeah, right? yeah, sure. That and but he was devastated. He got in the car, wasn't too happy. Asked me to drive away. I'm sure he doesn't want me sharing this stuff. Um, sorry, Aiden. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and then uh, you know we 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 went home that night. That very night, he gets a call from the rep team above him, calling him up to the higher team. And I said, in that moment, Aiden, like so, you know, in that day, you did you did you have a bad day? Or did you have a good day? Yeah. Like you can't analyze a situation in the moment and decide if it was bad or good. Right. Or a day in the moment and decide if it was bad or good. Some things that you perceive as bad today are going to serve you amazingly in the future and right. you just can't see it yet. So you know what? Just be, a, to your point, be a stoic. Mm-hmm. Just go through life pretty level-headed. Analyze what's going on, but almost from a third party point, you know, almost step out of yourself sometimes and just watch what's going on, but don't judge it. 
Yeah. Because you're not going to be able to judge it in the moment. So live by principles, life is a balance, all similar things that you're kind yeah. of talking about. And, and what you said is a key. You got to start when you're, they're young. You got to have those conversations along the way. You can't expect on the day they go to university, I am just using you as a, yeah. and give it to them <laughs> the all. Last yeah, stuff. and give them to an hour speech. In my defense, it was years yeah. of talking to them. I just felt yeah. like I wanted one more time yeah. to go through the list. Well, you know? Yeah, and but it takes time, right? It takes if time. You're, if you're yeah. working 60, 70 hours a week because you're collecting because you need more stress in your life, and you and you are trying to find time to to have all those discussions. It's difficult, difficult, right? It, yeah. it is very difficult. And the last sometimes thing, I outsource it. I ask them to read a book. Yeah. I've paid them uh, to read books before. Sure, I'm like, yeah, I just want that information in your brain. So I'll I'll pay you to read that book. I know how maybe bad that sounds. Don't care. I just wanted that information in their brain. And I would pay for it to get done. It's funny you should say that, but I just so I, I one of my favorite authors is Ryan Holiday. And he, he wrote a, a, a book recently called Stillness is the Key. And I thought it was so good. He's a great, he's a young, fairly young guy. He writes, yeah. he writes well beyond his years. Yeah, his he does. Awesome. So, so if you know him, so yeah. I, I read all his stuff. Ego is the enemy. Ego, yeah, a, I sat in a mastermind right next to the guy yeah. uh, once. And I think I was already a fan of him there. It took all of me not to like push the guy. And say, yeah, hey, man. I know you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, so I'm a big fan. I, I follow his reading list a lot or whatever. But I thought, because Katie, my middle one, the one who's an athlete, I thought that would be so apropos for her. Because I think she gets so wound up in the moment sometimes she forgets to be quiet and perform, you know. Same thing though. I said, Katie, this but she's dad, I said, here's fifty bucks. I'll give it to you if you can get through this book. It's cash right here, right? I felt bad about it. I said, said, if you get through it, I'll give you the money, right? (laughs) Oh, I'm all for that. I'm all for that. I'm sure in every parenting book everywhere, that's like not the not way the, to I do just it. Don't say. care. Do not care. Want the information in the brain. Steve, we could talk all day. Yeah, uh, yeah. Listen, I appreciate you doing this. Yeah. Where is the best way for people to reach you, whether it's uh, to, as a consultant for commercial lease or or a buy of a property or to ask you about some, what, anything. How okay, so you? let me tell you one more thing and then, I, and then I'll, I'll, I'll tell you that. So one of the things, just on this kid thing, so I've just started this thing. It's coming out of an, it's coming out, I think, the first one this month I have to talk to to the girl who's helping me with it but uh so I've got this thing called letters to your daughter and it's exactly that it's letters that most parents would I think would wish that they had the opportunity to say to their kids along the way about different things things that either my dad said to me or I wished he had said to me earlier on when I could still reconcile it those types of things and it came again from popularity like people some I was doing it for the kids and then they'd forward them and the next day I'd so that's going to be exciting. And if you if people have heard this and they kind of like that, I'll, it'll be at the same location. But I think it starts this, the first one comes out in October and it's called Letters to Your Daughter. But it's just apropos for anybody, I think. Awesome. I didn't know you were doing that. So, Great. So, yeah. uh, so you can see me right now at mcommercialrealty.com. That's the real estate uh, group that I'm So the letter um, M, commercialrealty.com. It's a web page and it's... Uh, it's got all kinds of stuff on there. A lot of the stuff I've written over the last couple of years, they're like cash flow and cap my, my rant on capitalization rates and blah, blah. The book, you can get it from there as well and some other things. And uh, my reading list, I think, is on there now. If it's not, it'll, it'll be there shortly because people are the same as you. I know they ask you, what are you reading these days? So I get that quite a bit. And this and this new thing I've got coming out. Uh, and the other part, you can go to LinkedIn. Like I have a lot of, we didn't really get to it today, but my, my journey to get to Canada in the real estate business is unusual to say the least i think and uh, it's been it's been well, a popular we'll talk story. about that we'll uh, talk about exactly that next time some, sometime yeah so you can see that on my linkedin uh, if you want to see that adventure it's kind of kind of unique and uh, and for people who are kind of getting started i think they might enjoy that so cool awesome okay. steve yeah thank yeah. you very much this was fun yeah it was fun thanks i appreciate it 
Hey everyone, hopefully you enjoyed that episode. And listen, if you want to check out the Your Life, Your Terms event, you can go to this URL. That is www.yourlifeyourtermsevent.com. It's on Saturday, October 17th from 8.30 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. That's www.yourlifeyourtermsevent.com. That's it for this episode. Until next time, your life, your terms.